On the Beach by Mary Treat. Coffee Break Collection 26. It's a Small World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On the Beach. Many of our young people spend the month of August at the seaside, and if those who wish to learn something of the curious microscopic animals will stroll along the beach when the tide is receded until they come to rocky places and little pools filled with salt water and various marine plants, they will find a form of animal life quite different from that in freshwater ponds. These little pools along the rocky coast are the homes of countless numbers of zoophytes, animals which have a stronger resemblance to plants and flowers than any we have found in freshwater. Look for specimens for microscopic work on the surface of the rocks, on dead seashells, and on the seaweeds. On the seaweeds, you will often find a white filmy network, which to the unassisted eye looks like simple white threads running and spreading in every direction, and at every angle of the network, a tiny stem shoots up, branching out like a tree and making a miniature forest. Now, if you apply a low power of the microscope, you will find the little forest is made up of a strange animal called Laumida geniculata. Each branch of this compound animal terminates and expands into a lovely vase and is the home of a polyp. The polyp is not a separate individual, any more than the end of a growing branch is separate from the tree on which it grows. When the creature is hungry, he sends out from the margin of the vase from 15 to 20 tentacles, ranged around the rim like the petals of a flower. Figure 1 shows one of these expanded polyps as seen through the microscope. The tentacles or feelers are fishing rods to bring game to the fleshy mouth which is protruded from the center of the vase. A great many such mouths surrounded with their tentacles are necessary to feed this singular compound creature. All that I can tell you of these microscopic animals will be nothing compared to a study of them with your own eyes, so I will only give you hints of what you may expect, thereby hoping to create sufficient interest to induce you to stroll to out-of-the-way places, where you may find many of nature's marvelous works. We want more field workers in every department of natural history, and especially in microscopy, where unexplored fields are awaiting you. When the tide is receded, various objects of interest will meet your eye at every step. Look at that old dead seashell covered with a rough, shaggy nap. Ah, as we approach, the shell is moving off. What can it mean? Why, it means that a hermit crab has set up housekeeping in the old shell, and he, no doubt, thinks us suspicious characters and wants none of our company. But we are after microscopic objects now, and this hermit, interesting as he is, is not to claim our attention today. The rough coat on the outside of the shell is of more interest. With the aid of a pocket lens, you will find it another zoophyte. You can see the polyps, as thick as they can well stand, rising erect and straight from the shaggy coat like a miniature field of wheat. With a higher power, you will see that each mouth is surrounded with tentacles like those of Laumida, but yet it is quite a different looking creature. If we touch one of these polyps ever so lightly, the great army immediately close their tentacles, for the same life pervades the entire colony, and those on the extreme outer edge feel the contact as quickly as the one we touched. One of the most comical and amusing creatures of all the zoophyte tribe is figured and described by Mr. Goss under the name of Lar Sabularum. 
He was the first observer of this curious creature. He found it inhabiting the outer edge of the tube of a worm, the sabella. So when you are looking for microscopic objects, do not overlook any tube that you may see standing above the surface of sand and mud, as it may be surrounded by this singular zoophyte. The tubes usually extend an inch or two above the surface and about as far below. I have found the tubes surrounded with the creatures, but not in as good condition for investigation as those Mr. Goss mentions. Mine were too thick and crowded to distinguish clearly. But as Mr. Gus describes them, they have a most close resemblance to the human figure as they stand erect around the mouth of the tube of Sabella. A loose network surrounds the top of the tube, and the strange forms spring from the angles of the meshes. The creatures are furnished with heads, and immediately below the head are two arms. The head moves to and fro on the neck, while the arms are tossed wildly about as if gesticulating in the most earnest manner. Or as in the wild and disorderly dances of savages, the body sways back and forth while the arms are thrown upward and downward in a frantic way. One summer I found a colony standing so thickly together that they did not show off to very good advantage. Apparently they were like a packed army of Lilliputians, striking out with their arms and struggling with one another. But when I came to observe them more carefully, I found they were not interfering with one another at all but each was intent on his own business of obtaining a livelihood. The sabella which inhabits the tube is of itself a most attractive object. Most elegant fringed filaments proceed from the head and wave back and forth like a fan, and near the ends of these delicate slender filaments are little black balls, supposed to be eyes. If they are eyes, the sabella has no lack of vision, and this may account for his seeming watchfulness. He is always on the alert and drops down into his house at any approach. Only with the utmost caution will you have an opportunity to leisurely look at his rare beauty. When for the first time I saw this elegant, beautiful creature rising out of the tube and waving his fringed, fan-like filaments, I did not wonder at Mr. Goss's enthusiasm. Neither was I surprised that he should be reminded of the old Roman mythology and call the zoophytes which surround the tube Larry's for the rare beauty of Sibella would suggest the protection of guardian spirits. He says, These curious creatures have afforded much entertainment, not only to myself, but to those scientific friends to whom I have had the opportunities of exhibiting them. When I see them surrounding the mansion of the Sibella, gazing, as it were, after him as he retreats into his castle, flinging their wild arms over its entrance and keeping watch with untiring vigilance until he reappears, it seems to require no very vivid fancy to imagine them so many guardian demons, and the lares of the old Roman mythology occurring to memory, I described the form under the scientific appellation of Lar Sabellarum. You may, however, if it pleases you better, call them witches dancing round the charmed pot. When the tide is out, you will frequently notice barnacles adhering to the rocks or to the timbers used in the construction of wharfs. Pray stop and examine them critically, and see what admirable fishers they are. Their fishing nets are composed of several long, flexible, jointed fingers, thickly beset with sensitive hairs. When the fisher wants a meal, he thrusts his long hand out the door of his stone house. The sensitive fingers quickly tell when they come into contact with anything good to eat, and they curl over and grasp it and convey it to the mouth. These barnacles are wonderful creatures and well worth your continuous study. They pass through several stages. 
When young, they are a gay, rollicking set, swimming freely in the water. But as maturity approaches, they settle down in stone houses, never more to rove about, and set up fishing for a living. End of On the Beach Recording by Colleen McMahon